Hi guys, this is Tony from Shelf Help and welcome to the fourth episode of our new podcast series, Moving Forward, in which I'm sharing conversations with self-help authors and experts on how we can learn and move forward from these extraordinary times with optimism and purpose. Today's guest is Dr. David Hamilton, a scientist, sought-after speaker, a kindness advocate, one of the mind-body experts featured in the brilliant Heal documentary and the author of 10 books, including previous shelf-help book of the moment, I Heart Me. Not bad for someone who failed his first English exam. I love David because he is super intelligent, but also super passionate about breaking down complicated science into easy to understand stuff, his word, that anyone can use to feel better in the everyday. He's also somebody who has worked hard to overcome his own difficulties with self-love and self-esteem. And so when he tells us that being kind can give our life more meaning and scientifically improve our well-being, we should certainly listen. Enjoy. Hi, David. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Very happy to be here. David Hamilton, also known as the, the Kindness Czar, which I love. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's not a name that I gave myself. That that was a, a Susie, the editor of Psychology's magazine. She sprung it on me one day when I was just about to do a talk, a, a live talk, and she said, could you be our Kindness Czar? And I had to go look up what the word Czar meant. <laughs> kind of happened Stuff like that sort of happens to me, really. I, I don't often go and pre-plan a lot of the things that I do. Oftentimes, things just seem to present themselves and I just go, oh, well, okay. We'll probably be talking quite a lot today about um, the idea of self-kindness because I think it's been a, a real time for that, hasn't it? And a lot of the work you do, you've got 10 books all about the kind of mind-body connection and kindness is a huge part of your work and your specialist subject, I suppose. But I'd love to talk to you um, just about your life right now mm. and how different it is today than three months ago, was just as we were going into to lockdown. As a writer, maybe not that different. Like a lot of writers have told me that um, they already were quite socially distant and <laughs> living and working at home and stuff. But what about what about for you? It, for, for me, I've got kind of two extremes. What's very different for me is I do a lot of public speaking and, you know, I can do anything from 50 to over 100 uh, speaking events a year, mostly in the UK, but oftentimes abroad as well. But uh, And so all of a sudden there was a, a dramatic drop in that because basically all of my speaking events really for the rest of the year were cancelled because you couldn't yeah. even predict uh, when conditions would be better, would, would be safe really. For people to be in an audience and within literally a week all of my my calendar for the whole year was blanked but but on the, on the other side of things i had actually planned a quieter time for april may and june because i have a book to write and i had uh, an exam you know i'm doing a part-time a uh, degree in mathematics and physics with the open university as well as you know, book writing and all my other stuff, and so I had planned study time. So, so in one way it was dramatically different, but in another way, I, I'd sort of a unofficially planned some quiet time anyway. So, what was the initial feeling when the um, diary opened up for me? Yeah, I had a, quite a few events planned this summer. I felt like this summer was a bit the summer that shelf help was kind of like really going places, mm. and then, like you say, within twenty four forty eight hours everything just crashed down and I had the initial panic and just being really bummed out and then that gave way to a kind of peace that 
well, this is what's happening now. So then what, are, what am I going to do with this time? And, and, and I think quite a few people have had that experience. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Tony, because it's funny. I, I felt like a, in some sense, a sense of peace. You know, I, I jokingly mm-hmm. said one day, I feel like a Labrador dog. Because I used to have a Labrador who passed away a few years ago and he was just a pup, really. He was only two years old. And, and he used to just take everything in his stride. Like he got a leg amputated because he had bone cancer and we tried everything to save his life. And this was the last thing we did. And and literally the next day after he came out of the operation, he barely noticed. He just got on with his life and tail wagging and chasing after balls. And I'm like, it was so inspiring. And and I was joking really on, on one of the FaceTimes I was doing uh, and and saying like I, in some ways I felt like a Labrador dog because I just sort of said okay lockdown here we go let's just adapt and, and get on with things and and so that attitude for me has has made it I, I've been very lucky that I've not you know been sick or anything I've been very very lucky in that respect so because I have socially isolated very very well and, and really kept I've been very, very strict in in the whole throughout the whole lockdown, and advise my family similarly because I know a lot about this, the virus and the pandemic and stuff. So, but because I knew that this is what you have to do now, I basically just wagged my tail and just sort of got on with it and just said, "Okay, here we are. What do we do now?" And then you you don't have or you haven't had the anxiety that for lots of people who haven't actually got sick from the pandemic, they've been maybe mentally really in a bad way just be more like about the anxiety of life changing as well as a potential illness so I think that the idea of you've been able to feel peaceful is obviously a huge credit to the the work you've done on self-love but do you think that like sometimes I do I wonder if people think that the idea of self-kindness self-love and that kind of work is a bit of a luxury in these times because mm. Obviously, right right now, it's they're not peaceful times out in the world. We had the mm. coronavirus, yeah. which brought out a lot of good in humanity, I thought, as well. But then yeah. the Black Lives Matter movement has, ident- has identified and highlighted some awful sides to humanity. Mm. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. It's it's. I, I saw something online towards the start of the, the pandemic, and it was, what a year this week has been. And... Uh, and, and it feels that this week has happened every week, really, yeah. f- for for most of the year. And it's like, my my goodness, it's, it, it literally is an extraordinary, an extraordinary time. What I, I've been doing and recommended to people is reach out and connect. Human, humans have a need. We're biologically wired for kindness, compassion and connection. It, it's literally wired into our or genetics it's part it's in your dna it's it's in your nervous system it's in your gut there's need to connect so i've done a lot of that you know online family f- friends and i think one of the, the things that can also help me is i found myself in a really really busy period you know the the theme this year for mental health awareness week was kindness sure. and yeah, a busy one for you. <laughs> yeah, that week and the week leading up to it is, I don't ever recall having a fuller two-week period of time ever in my whole career as a writer. And and I realised during all of my talks, and this comes back to one of the things you mentioned about self-kindness, the irony was not lost on me that during a number of these talks, part of the talk, I always said it's so important that we also practice self-kindness. 
and I would list you know, a definition of self-kindness and also all the different ways that we can practice it, how we can practice self-kindness. And I would always do a significant session during all of these talks in that. And the irony was not lost in me that during those two weeks, I wasn't practicing self-kindness no. because I was absolutely <laughs> overwhelmed with with mm. volume of stuff to do. It was just... I think I just took on too much. And one of the things I was saying during these talks as well in these interviews is it's important to take time for yourself. And during that mm -hmm. two weeks, I yeah. got none. I mean, I'm talking, you know, from 7.30 in the morning till 8, 9 o'clock at night. I barely had 15 minutes where I literally was sitting down and doing nothing. And and it, it was it was maybe not tiring, just overwhelming. I just felt, I felt emotional. I felt tired I felt a bit pulled pushed and pulled all over the place that I didn't really know what I was doing uh, and and so as I say the irony wasn't lost in me that I was talking about the importance of self-kindness and I was absolutely yeah. not practicing it during that time so so I've had to be a wee bit better at it since well I think that's a really good point because I think sometimes there are times in our lives where we do take on a lot but we kind of think this is it's just for this week or you know the kind of eye yeah. on the prize is a reason yeah. especially people who are writing books or like you are studying for something can we from the from the physical side are we able to catch up when we kind of after the two weeks we say right okay now I'm gonna get outside more I'm gonna sleep better I'm gonna eat better does your body forgive you and are you um, are you able to move on <laughs> and how long can you push it for because obviously some people this is their life, isn't it? Constantly yeah. overwhelmed. So it's interest. I'd be interested to know if it's possible to catch up. Definitely, definitely possible. I, I, I couldn't keep that up. You know, I mean, I, I, I go through periods when I am very busy, but not in that way. And it was, it was a head, sure. you know, it was a head space. I didn't have the head space because I was balancing other things. Like, but, you know, you, you can recover really quickly if you decide to do so. So I decided after my, my exam that I'm taking the rest of the week off. I played a lot of tennis. I went runs. I watched Netflix. I watched, you know, what other people would call crap sci-fi movies. <laughs> I watched <laughs> lots of Star Trek. <laughs> you know, I, I did things that I decided were important to me because in doing mm -hmm. these things, it's me saying I'm giving myself this time, you know. Yeah. And and all that also involved sitting out the back garden. It was nice that week with a, you know, food and a nice bottle of wine as well. I did that. But it's like replenishing, isn't it? Yeah, and I would say, you know, by the end of that week, I felt a lot better, you know, significantly better. I felt more rested than I had been, and that that's what I needed to feel. And I'd say I'm back to my normal. Really, so so yes, your body does forgive you, and you can recover fast. But you have you have to decide that I need to practice self kindness. Now. It's it's in that moment of decision that, that that even allows it. Because unless you decide to do it, if you just half heartedly say I'll be a wee bit kinder to myself, I don't think that works quite the same. You've literally got to decide, like you would make any other kind of decision. But I'm deciding to do this for me because I need it yeah. and it's very, very important for my mental health and for my, my physiological health. So I think if you make the decision, then it, it becomes much easier and then more replenishing. Yeah, absolutely. It's about almost, it's like scheduling that time in, isn't it? Like we would do for an important meeting or for somebody else. So actually, yeah, what you're talking about is being very conscious, consciously 
being aware of how what you're doing or how you're living is impacting you physically and mentally. I normally ask people because um, shelf help is all about uh, self-help and self-development and really Mm. we're about helping people improve their relationship with themselves so your one of your books um i heart me was one of our book of the month mm, a couple you. of years ago because that was the I, I loved it so much it was a really important book for me and you share in that book how your relationship with yourself didn't used to be that great you know mm. standing up for yourself having self-confidence but now um just talking about how you're living your life it, it's, you're better at setting boundaries and, and all that kind of thing so how do you say your relationship with yourself has changed kind of over the last few years and and has it changed much over the last few months with what what's happening in our world yeah certainly since, since i wrote that book there's been a, a dramatic uh, transformation i mean I, I i struggled so much with self-love you know i define self-love as an inner sense of worthiness and value and you know i i had probably what you call external self-esteem external self-esteem is when you 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 derive your sense of worthiness and value from successes and achievements in life and people having a positive opinion of you Uh, but that's not healthy if that's all you have as they say in scotland if that's all if that's the only self-esteem you have then the line goes in scotland your coat is on a shaky nail (laughs) and that's all i had really and i lacked the internal stuff which is an inner sense of worthiness and value it doesn't mean that you don't want to be successful and achieve things nor does it nor does it mean that you don't want people to like you it just means that your sense of worthiness and inner value is not rested upon those things it's not dependent upon those things it's independent of you still would like those things but it doesn't matter quite so much if you don't it's almost like you have an inner warmth an inner bit of resilience and I, I had a crisis moment standing at the side of the stage, a Hay House conference, and I was about to speak after the late Dr. Wayne Dyer, who's always been a personal hero of mine. And I had a little bit of a, an anxiety attack, and it wasn't out of nerves. I wasn't nervous about speaking in front of a thousand people. I've done that, you know, quite a number of times. It was, I, I had a, it was a crisis of self-love, self-esteem, where I suddenly felt small, in comparison to all the other speakers, it's like they all, you know, I had a flashback of being at school when I, I felt really small because the teacher had reprimanded me, made made me stand in the corner and gave the rest of the class a, a yellow badge for bringing mo- money in for a school trip. And I hadn't brought my money because my mum and dad were poor. I didn't want to ask them for it. And, and I suddenly remembered those emotional feelings. It's funny how you remember times in your life when you felt exactly the same as you feel in this one moment. And here I was at the side of the stage feeling the same, like like Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay and all the other speakers that day had a yellow badge on, you know, metaphorically speaking, it set for me. And I felt like I had nothing to, to add. I literally felt, despite the fact I'd written at that point seven books, I literally felt like I had nothing of any value that I could add. And that's how I profoundly felt emotionally. There and that's the day when I decided I had to work on self-love, this inner sense of worthiness and value. And I think I'm a slow learner because it's the longest I've ever taken to write a book. It took me two years. Uh, normally, I'd write a book in five or six months, and I, I promised Hay House I would write it in five or six months. And I remember that I hand I handed the first draft or what I thought was the final draft to Michelle at Hay House, and and really kindly she took me for a coffee and said, you know, we all love you in the office but I can't accept this manuscript as it is. If we publish it as it is, it will be damaging for your career. <laughs> and it was just wow. so 
kindly honest. It was really brutally honest, but exceptionally kind because what she pointed out is she was trying to help me that I had learned nothing of self-love during that time because I'd approached the subject academically and not experienced mm. a shift in myself. And, and it was from that moment, Michelle said, look, David, let's not have a deadline. Why don't you take as long as you need to take to write this book and work on yourself? And with the pressure off, I was able to start properly learning. And that's when I properly started to change my relationship with myself and, and started to feel that, that inner sense of worthiness and value. And, and I learned because I was now ready for it. I, was, I really mm. knew now I had to learn this stuff. And over the next 18 months, I put together a book that I'm immensely proud of because the book really tracked my own development through the three stages of self-love. I'm not enough to, I've had enough to, I am enough and the book really tracks with a wee bit of science thrown in here and there and lots of exercise it literally tracked my progress as I came out of the other end of a, of probably the most important period of transformation in my entire life really and so my relationship with myself now had I not gone through that I think I would have struggled immensely during this lockdown period but mm. because I, I I'd worked so much on myself I, I sort of intuitively knew myself well enough that this is how I have to deal with things. It might not be the same way that everyone else meets the, a lockdown during a pandemic, but I had learned that this is how I have to meet it. This is my way. It's probably the only way I can do it. And 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 I wouldn't have known myself well enough prior to to working on that on self love. I think um, a lot of people have had to spend more time by themselves and mm. or, and or have had, like you say, all those external validations taken away from them. No one's going off to any flash holidays, are they? No one's yeah. heading to their corner office. No, suddenly money doesn't really have the same value. So I think I think it's been a real interesting time for people to be to be able to go inwards, which for some of us we kind of enjoy now because it, we 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 see it as an important part of our development. But I think for lots yeah. of people, it's been it's been a tough time. Mm. What do you think then? Now moving forward. Maybe it's a new normal. I know lots of people don't necessarily like that term because maybe normal wasn't so great anyway for lots of people. But do you have any advice on how we can move forward feeling maybe good about the future and hopefully having learned something from what's just happened? I think for me, the most important thing is to feel almost like that you have some meaning going forward mm. you know like, like what I'm doing now means something whether it means something to me or whether it means something to the world but it's just I, I find if you infuse what you do with a sense of meaning then that almost gives you the wind beneath your wings so to speak and it also serves as a buffer when you feel afraid or anxious just feeling that what you're doing or trying to do or are trying to accomplish has a little bit of meaning. For me, I feel that we're all members of the same family, humans and animals as well. And and everyone is, I feel we're all, you know, I think family is probably, the, that's how it feels to me emotionally and intuitively. And so it doesn't make any sense to me to be anything other than compassionate and kind. And, and that gives my life meaning. It gives what I do, or I try I try to do. I'm not greatest at it. Everyone makes mistakes. I'm only human as well, but I try my best to be compassionate and kind 
to everyone. And it's easy sometimes, it's more difficult other times, but that is the meaning that I put behind the things that I do. I have other bits of meaning, like it's meaningful for me to write books and study and do these other things. But the bigger sense of meaning for me is is believing that if I do this, try to practice compassion and kindness, then I'm doing something good for my extended family, not just my immediate siblings, but the family of, of... humans and animals you know that that we're all interconnected and you know it's just that that's tony that's just kind of how i see the world but it gives meaning and i think what i mean then is if you can find some sort of meaning going forward then it almost takes you out of your own self it's like you know if you find a reason for something then like for example one of the one of the things that happen when you demonstrate compassion and kindness for a human or an animal is even if you're suffering in that moment yourself, struggling with anxiety, say, or depression or something, or or other mental health challenges, in the moment when you shift your attention onto the immediate needs and well-being of someone else, it takes you out of yourself. And in the moment, it's not just you're forgetting your pain, you're literally moving your sense of consciousness to someone else and it literally takes you out of yourself and so one of the you know it's one of the side effects of kindness actually that it boosts it's good for mental health simply because it takes you out of yourself so if that if being kind can become part of the meaning that you give to to your life going forward then it just has this side effect of taking you out of yourself and it just seems to I guess smooth the ride a little bit it makes it a little bit easier to navigate some of the difficult times in life because you know kindness is physiologically the opposite of stress it's literally the feelings induced by kindness create the opposite physiological conditions in the body to the feelings induced by stress literally it's like a seesaw if one goes up the other goes down so the act of being kind actually has a a stress cancelling effect inside the body but also inside the mind so so i guess long answer to, to the question but as i say meaning going forward with meaning whatever meaning you can give to things it takes you a wee bit out of yourself and if you can do something kind in the process then i've just found it's quite helpful really for yourself but also for other people and i think for a lot of people feeling that helplessness so if you feel helpless help others that's and yeah. that you're saying that will make actual changes to how you're feeling and to, and to your body as well uh, our book at the moment is the monk who sold his ferrari which is a mm. self-help classic but he talks a lot about self-mastery and enlightenment and a lot of it is around the idea of purpose so i think purpose and meaning probably are interchangeable i think uh, like would you say then you, you believe your purpose is to to learn about kindness, to spread the message of kindness and to do kindness. Yeah, that, that definitely is a big part of what I feel my purpose to be. It, get, it gives my life a great sense of meaning. It doesn't mean that we've all got to be, I don't like to use the term from that book, it doesn't mean I've got to be a monk. It doesn't mean you've got to yeah. meditate for 24 hours a day or go live in a cave or anything. It's just about bringing that attitude to your everyday ordinary interactions that you have with people, the, to the best of your, the best of your ability, we're, you know we we get better. Like anything, if I you want to get better at a sport, you play the sport, you get better at it. We also get better at 
practicing compassion and kindness. So that that's a, a good sense of purpose. But you can have a physical purpose. I mean, I'd, I'd say one of my main purposes on a physical level, if you think of the kindness as more spiritual then, is, is, is to write and to explain stuff, to make stuff simple and explain useful concepts to people by using signs. And that for me is a big, massive, big sense of purpose. In fact, that's I felt that in my bones, so to speak, since I was a child, that I'm supposed to, before I, I ever considered writing, I believe I knew that my purpose was to explain stuff, <laughs> you know, before mm-hmm. I ever even imagined that one day I would be a writer. Because I failed my I failed my English at school in my first attempt. The idea of me ever writing was absolutely ludicrous. I mean, who'd have thought? You know, I've never have imagined. I hated writing. I hated studying doing English. I literally deplored it. I loved science. I loved chemistry, and I loved maths. Uh, but oh my goodness, English! And then all of a sudden, here, you know, fifteen years later or so, I'm, I've, I've published a book. <laughs> you know, who yeah. would have? Who would have thought? But it's because the purpose for me was I, I know that I have to explain stuff. That's my thing. It's in my bones. It's it's the part it's a real part of me. And I just suddenly realized one day that explaining stuff as well as being a speaker, an educator, explaining stuff will be done through writing. And listen, mm. that it's funny, but that little shift in my mind realizing that explaining things I need to write I suddenly became a writer with no resistance and with no and the belief that I can't write just evaporated overnight with that sudden shift that this is how this is how I live my purpose this is to write you know so yeah, so, so purpose when... can be a spiritual or a physical thing or both I think I've got both for me. So when your intention, when your intention became clear about the writing, it's a different, different perspective. So that's such a great shift. And how, thank you for sharing the fact that you didn't pass your English first time, because I'm sure yeah. people will, will really appreciate and relate to that, as well as the um, public speaking crisis, because I'm sure lots of people will relate to that feeling as well. Yeah. And I think for you to be able to be to go from being a scientist to explain things in simplified manner, it's so helpful to us because you tell us we don't need to do big massive acts of kindness we can do small things and that will change change us and change the world around us won't it yeah yeah it's funny for me it's the coming together of purposes because in writing a lot about kindness and explaining a lot about kindness I'm explaining stuff but what I'm explaining is the science of kindness and how it literally impacts your health but also how it makes a difference in the world and I actually it lights me up when I'm talking about, you know, the different ways that kindness affects your heart and your immune system because of how it feels, that feeling itself has physiological consequences, just like feeling stressed has physiological consequences. So the feelings induced by kindness have very beneficial consequences and explaining how kindness, for example, is more contagious than the coronavirus even was at its, at its peak. You know, the coronavirus mm-hmm. had an R number of 2.5 at its absolute peak. And that means that one person will infect 2.5, who will infect 2.5, who will infect 2.5. So what you get is about 16 people on three on three layers of infection. But the R number for kindness is between four and five, and it's actually closer to five. And that means that one person, if you do something kind for someone, then that person will be kind or kinder to five people on average 
over the course of the next day because of how you made them feel. But each of those five will be kind or kinder to five further people over the course of the rest of the day. And each of those now people will be kind or kinder. So what you have is five times five times 25. And here's a wee bit of maths. What you have is 125 people benefiting for the from the average act of kindness. You do one little thing that you think isn't really that meaningful or that important. It doesn't feel big to you, but it maybe matters to the other person. What you don't see, if you were to follow that person around and everyone they interact with for the next couple of days, you would roughly see about 125 people, obviously give or take a few average. But you would see a large number of people benefiting from the ripple effect of that kindness. So, so I, I love the bringing together of what feels that my two senses of purpose is teaching and, and explaining stuff, but also trying to be a better quality human, I suppose. Uh, and so for mm. me at the moment, it feels like I'm, I, I'm sort of treading that middle ground that I, I, I feel for me is very meaningful. I guess. And that must be a, a brilliant feeling. So just as a, as a final question, really, for you then, how do you feel about the future right now? And that's kind of on a personal yeah. or a global scale. Mm, I feel very optimistic I, I, in a number mm. of levels. Certainly coming out, out of the pandemic, I, I feel optimistic. And I also feel that there'll be necessary changes that will take place in the world to minimise the chances of this happening again. And, and I don't just mean about developing medicines. I mean, how we... It, it's partially exploitation of the environment that indirectly leads to things like pandemics. It's that, you know, a lot of scientists agree now it's a displacement of vast number of animal species and insect species mm. from their natural habitats as we expand and, in other cases, eat them and stuff. But it's the, it's the mm. displacement of all that that introduces the human body to to pathogens and species that the human body just isn't well adapted to. Uh, and so I think there will be necessary changes in that kind of area. And I'm hopeful about that because that might have repercussions uh, in, you know, regarding how we lead our lives and even how we treat animals and stuff. So I'm hopeful there. But, you know, I, I'm also hopeful on the kindness front because never before, I think, in history, have we have we globally seen such an outpouring of kindness and compassion? When in the UK, the NHS has been highlighted for the amazing kind and compassionate work they're doing. We've been clapping for carers. People are looking out for their neighbours or checking in family members. And I, I don't think in a, I've ever known a time where there's been so much kindness and compassion. And I think on a global scale, we've got a we know what that feels like and we've got a taste for it and I, I don't think we'll go backwards. I think there will be more talk and practice of kindness. There will be more looking out for each other and less isolating and building walls and more knocking walls down, I think, inevitably. It, you know, when you have a pandemic on this scale, it cannot, on a spiritual level, it cannot go without a significant transformation inside on a global scale. So I think we will make happen a, a world that has more kindness and compassion. So I, I'm an idealist, I suppose, but I feel very optimistic that we will see and witness on a global scale that will be a shift over the coming months and years uh, towards something that's better. Brilliant. I think it's a lot about connection, isn't it? We were talking before we started recording about your personal development club, and we really noticed at the um, at Shelf Help that the pandemic 
it pivoted everything online, but it really is. We've got members now, all different walks of life from all different countries and all different situations. And they, they're just coming together to connect and, you know, support each other and share stories. And that's not going anywhere. I just feel like that's just getting stronger and stronger. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the power of connection. We're wired to connect, and and even though we've been having to distance socially, we are closing the emotional distance between us. And because it's a fundamental human need to connect, we're finding other ways to connect. And and your shelf help club is giving people a great opportunity to to do that, to connect and come together and and find ways of interacting because as I say is we are genetically wired for connection we literally we have yeah. to do it so we're finding it's the great resilience of humans isn't it we're finding a way to connect even when physically we've not been able to so I, I you know I, I love that your your shelf helps getting a lot more people looking into it now because it does provide that sense of connection and and people thinking the same things and similar ideas and exploring ideas it's, it's lovely yeah and and supporting each other in winging it which is a lot what, what we end up speaking about a lot of the weeks as well yeah, yeah yeah if we all understand that we're all winging it then we don't have to pretend anymore that we have all the answer brilliant thank you so much for for all of that it was um so brilliant to talk to you today and i really appreciate your time and um yeah all all, all the amazing books and all the work that you do Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure, Tony. I thoroughly enjoyed our wee chat here. Bye-bye. What a dude. I hope you enjoyed that conversation, guys. I'll be back next week with two more self-help podcasts celebrating a brighter future, including a conversation with anti-racist activist and millennial black author Sophie Williams and author, life coach and Japanologist Beth Kempton. For more of our episodes, check out and subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify, and you can also connect with the Shelf Help family online via Instagram or our awesome membership community, the Shelf Help Clubhouse. And if you're interested in hosting a Shelf Help meetup in your area, we're just launching our new online host training. And to find out more about all the ways to get involved and stay connected, head to our website, shelfhelp.club. Thanks for being here.